0: Welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. It's episode 47, SEO Tools and Analytics with Steve Wiedemann, and it starts right now.
1: Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, visit araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M dot com.
0: Well, of course, this is a happy hour. And what happy hour is complete if we don't have a few beverages? So, Chris, what are you drinking today?
1: You know, Ryan, I've been on a local kick lately, and I figured I would just continue the theme this week. I am drinking Cigar City, which is local to the Tampa Bay area, and I have a Frost Proof in front of me. What about you? What's on the docket this week?
0: You know, before this uh, happy hour, I already was uh, at Big Storm, and they have an IPA. I'm not a huge IPA person, but one of theirs is called Arcus IPA. And so I'm carrying that over and that is what I am drinking during this
1: happy hour as well. Very nice. Well, we have our beverages in hand, so let's get started. He's Ryan Smith. I'm Chris Casale. Thank you for joining us this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to the podcast, then welcome. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you. If you continue to find value in this podcast, please kindly leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Audible, or wherever you listen to this podcast.
0: In this episode, we break down the importance of SEO in 2021 with Steve Wiedemann, including some valuable tools you might not be aware of to help you with SEO.
1: You know, a question we often get on social media is, what tools are you using to measure your SEO efforts? And while there's no shortage of tools, some of them free and some paid, each of them have their different strengths and weaknesses. And while we certainly have some of our favorites, our guest today is an expert in the field of SEO and has a much deeper working knowledge of tools and analytics. So Ryan, without any more hesitation, let's bring in our guest.
0: On today's Digital Marketing Happy Hour, our guest is Steve Wiedemann. He is a writer, scientist, professor, and practitioner of search optimization. He lives, breathes, and eats SEO, SEM, and inbound marketing. When he's not leading his team of SEO consultants for franchise, multi-location, and e-commerce brands, he's a cheeseball romantic, entertaining dad, and world traveler with a passion for life, embracing culture and diversity. So while serving as adjunct professor at UCSD and CSUF, Steve's also building the Academy of Search while volunteering time to help improve transparency and industry standards as an agency trainer. Steve, welcome to the happy hour.
2: Thanks so much. I'm I'm honored to be here.
0: Well, we can't start a happy hour until we get down to what is th- your favorite beverage or your consistent beverage that you have each time you go to a happy hour.
2: I would say that the IPAs are my favorites, and I'm I'm always switching between something new. I've I've tried some weird stuff from uh, they got these these great little stores near us, and here here's something new. This one's the Belching Beaver. Uh, deftones phantom bride india pale ale and this is pretty rad right now and i think i'll probably you know fiend on this thing for like a month and then i'll i'll jump to something new but yeah the ipa is definitely my way to go
1: very nice that's definitely an acquired taste i like ipas but i think they get a little too crazy when they start going with the double ipas and the triple ipas are you into (laughs) that stuff as well
2: Uh, a little bit I'm, i'm still you know more about the flavor than about the alcohol content but that's just me
1: I hear that, I hear that. Well, we're really glad to have you on the podcast today. I guess for starters, SEO, SEM, that doesn't happen overnight. How does one get into that field? What was your journey like? Sure.
2: Yeah, you know, there there really were two specific moments in my career where I realized that this is where I'm going to go. The first one was when my web design clients in the 90s realized that they weren't really getting any traffic to their website and they couldn't keep paying me to do website work if it wasn't really giving them any value. So I had to learn, sort of by necessity, how to get um, you know links to their websites so they get referral traffic, and how to get them into directories, and how to get them you know cross promoted with similar brands. And um, so that that was part one was was just I started to develop a, uh, an interest in trying to drive web traffic. And at the time, there wasn't really an an SEO thing. In fact, Google hadn't even really launched yet. And then the second part was uh, right around 2000. I realized that, you know, in in my job at IBM, I was basically um, tasked with moving content from print to web. And I realized while I was sitting there, you know, creating these profiles for for all this data that was coming in, like, oh my God, every business at some point is going to move to the web. And if I'm going to pick something where I know there's some longevity, I think that this could be the way to go. So right around the same time, I got a postcard from a tech, tech school and I went back, got my degree and a bachelor degree in e-business management, and I've never looked back.
0: You know, and SEO has evolved, but I think you can say that the core components of what makes up SEO has probably never changed. And you've been doing it a while. You work with a variety of different industries. First, share the industries that you, you know, you kind of been working at, have some familiarity, familiarity with, but also share with us what are the common problems that people come to you with? which shows, you know, it's not just the industry. It is, you know, SEO questions, that small to medium sized businesses, maybe they just don't understand, or you hear frequently.
2: I would say the number one question is, is how do I know that the company I'm working with is doing a good job? Uh, they're not transparent about what they're doing because they call it secret sauce. I get reports, but I don't know what those reports mean or if if the numbers are, you know, what they could be or should be. And I don't, I don't get a forecast, I don't get a plan. I don't get any key performance indicators to measure against and I wouldn't even know what they would be. I think those are the the primary challenges that small businesses have but but you're right, you know, going back to, you know, what those those sort of core principles of SEO are, you know, it's, it's really only three when we think about organic search. It's, you know, relevancy to the keyword. Do you have a page, you know, when somebody searches for a, a non-brand search term and they're not searching for your name and they're searching for your service or product, do you have a page for that? That's number one, and that's the first question I ask when someone says, "Hey, I'm having trouble ranking for a keyword." I say, "Well, what page are you trying to rank?" And they go, "Well, I'm just trying to get my website to rank." No, no, what page on your website are you trying to get to show up in search for that keyword? Uh, number two is going to be visibility. It's making sure every month that you know when when Google and Bing are crawling through the internet that they're finding your your business name everywhere, maybe even some links back to your site to you know to to crawl through and and you know really study your website more often. So, getting that visibility off your website is you know part two and part three is is really more around user behaviors you don't hear this a lot right you hear a lot about content and links content and links if i do those two things i'm going to show up in search results but but from our testing and our our observation of looking at google's own search console tool it turns out that the keyword piece of it is really just in the beginning for them to understand what words to test your page for and then secondly, it's once you've kind of been qualified to show up for those search terms, it's making sure by getting votes from other websites through links, you know, that, that you're relevant for that, uh, that keyword beyond just what's on your website. So we're talking like maybe three months to get your website qualified, three months, you know, to, to earn those votes from, um, you know, from other websites, and then from six, six months to two years to ha- have those user behavior signals kick in. And that is somebody searches and they choose your results more often than the others, because it stands out, has a beautiful thumbnail next to it of uh, of a picture of of something on your website or your service, or maybe some FAQs below it, maybe a a rating, right? You've got a compelling title and description that makes them want to click, and they click on that listing, and Google says, hey, good, this must have been a relevant result. They click this listing more often than the others. But if your site hasn't adhered to on-page best practices, accessibility, security, privacy, and it hasn't really paid attention to mobile usability the way that you know that we are now, they're going to click back and then to choose a competing result. And Google's going to go, oh, I guess that wasn't a helpful result. I'm going to go ahead and demote this one because over time, it seems like more people who do click on this tend to come back and choose something else. And we've noticed that we have we can take the content completely off the website in a year. And that listing will still stick at the top as long as the information and the content the user was really looking for is still there and it's still the most helpful result. So. Short term, yeah, your content, your relevancy is 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 key. Second is getting other websites to vote for you, and then third is really around that user behavior signal and constantly trying to improve your click through rates, improve your conversion rates, improve your bounce, improve everything that you can do on that page when you're compared to competing pages, and you're going to be rocking. and And I think that's a challenge I think for small businesses because. Who's going to do all that? Who's going to be the who's going to be the analytics person to to really look into what search terms I need to appear for, and um, who's going to uh, who's going to understand buyer behavior to understand the difference between transactional and informational content, while at the same time being charismatic and outgoing enough to do some outreach to get other websites to link to mine. So you know, for small businesses who can't have a full SEO team of those different personalities, you've got this SEO specialist you know and his job or her job is is to be all of those roles to be the introverted technical nerd who can also be understanding of buyer behavior and and psychology while also being charismatic and outgoing enough to do some outreach you know to to really try to build links to the website so there lie the challenge for any business, you know, getting into search engine optimization is, is understanding those different disciplines and, and you know, the, the personalities required to be able to execute across all of them.
1: You that just mentioned, yeah, it, it was, and you mentioned <laughs> yeah. a lot of stuff that I'd like to unpack a little bit more, but it's something that kind of stuck with me that I'd, I'd like to have you elaborate on, which is sure. you talked about the timeline when you're implementing new content. And this is one thing that Ryan and I see very frequently when we're talking to businesses, right? They they wanna set aside a budget for paid ads because We can have them in front of searchers within minutes if it's done properly, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're trying to preach more of a content strategy, we always tell clients, you're looking at six to nine months of continually having to produce the content and put it out there before you start to see the results of it. So we always compare it where the paid ads is the sprint, but the SEO and the content strategy, that's the marathon. Right. What do you tell people in the form of a timeline? Because, sure. you know, we hear very often it's not working, it's not working. And it's like, you don't know that it's not working. You haven't seen the results of it yet.
2: Yeah. It feels like a catch 22 too, because you'd mentioned, hey, if we do paid ads and we can get the traffic quicker. But if we're targeting keywords where we want to have a specific page of content that we're sending the user to from the ad, we kind of need both. Right. And running in tangent and creating content and then sending. Um, an ad group to that page is phenomenal. But to just launch some paid ads without that page, you're, you're forced to either send them to a page that isn't very well optimized, which will impact your costs and your quality scores, um, or you're forced to send them to the home page and make them search around your website to figure out how to get to the specific product or service that you were selling. So it is, it is a bit of a conundrum. So I would say run in tangent for every page on your website, create an ad group. Obviously don't create one for your privacy policy or terms and conditions, but for every product or service page, or maybe even some of that long-form upper funnel content, the how-to and, and where-to and strategies and tips and ideas and checklists, right? Maybe do some some upper funnel with that. And maybe even, maybe even turn some of that into video and do some video ads since those are so affordable. Businesses just don't want to take the time and, and feel like it's it Can't be perfect. I'm not going to do it. So they don't do video. But the reality is you could take your phone, which has 4K now, right? Put it on a tripod and film something very basic uh, that solves an upper funnel problem. Do some advertising on YouTube for a one cent of view, you know, really build some brand awareness and still just target your area. You can actually just target the geography that you know that's your your primary audience. And then you the call to actions get them to learn more. And then they visit your website. And once they visited your website, you could use remarketing. To bring them back. And that's where, you know, I think a lot of businesses might get kind of hung up is, you know, I have done these videos, but it doesn't seem to be, you know, uh, effective uh, because you're, you're using them to drive them to the website. And instead of using the remarketing that happens after the fact to drive them to be a customer, I think that's where, where some of that challenge is. But I would say, I would say you should be, you should be doing a little bit of everything and optimizing everything. And over time, you're like, Hey, I started this Bing thing. You know, two years ago and every month I get in and do a little bit more optimization. Two years later, you've got this great built out account. You don't have to do it all at once. You know, you can pace yourself, start with a dollar a day. Like oh, I'm not getting results. I'm going to, I'm going to create a couple new ad groups and see what happens and up the budget to $2 and $3. And as you start getting results, um, what's great about the, the paid search side is that there's, there's smart bidding. Now you can actually indicate to the search engines, I'm, I'm only willing to spend X amount of money for each person that fills out a form or does a chat or makes a purchase. You can even, if you set your campaigns up, right, you could even set up specific um, amounts, uh, what your cost per conversion would be for products. If your product margin is only you know $20, you could say, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to spend a dollar and you might not get a lot of sales, but you, the sales that you do get will only be for a dollar. So um, I don't know. I think that's that's an approach to take marrying paid and and organic. They really help each other. They help each other in, in ways where if we look at our paid search display, like when we're on the display network and we find that we're getting a lot of conversions from certain sites. What's great about that is we can take that data, give it to the SEO outreach person and say, Hey, get me some, some links and, and some, you know, some partnership with this group on some of these pages because we're getting really good traffic from them. Maybe we could even convince them to swap the Google AdSense ad for a dedicated banner since we're getting such great results from that website. Also, because Google has all their keywords behind that, darn not provided, that drives us absolutely nuts. We can't see the data. We can't see it in paid search. So we can look at our search term data from paid ads and we can incorporate that into our SEO strategy. Sure, you know, the, the keyword iPad case might send a lot of traffic, but it turns out blue iPhone case or iPad case converts a lot better. So let's let's optimize around that since that's going to drive conversion since we know that search term is what's really driving them to become a customer. So I think, you know, using that data. Oh, by the way, if you ever take your, your search term data for a specific page on your website and throw that into an ad group, obviously clean up all the garbage that's in there. that's not relevant, uh, but put it into an ad group in in exact match, you'll see these incredibly high quality scores you know, resulting in lower cost per clicks, lower cost per acquisition, you know, and and much more success with your paid ads. So again, marrying that paid and organic is is just a, a really smart way to nurture and grow both.
0: I agree with you. And I think setting expectations, which you kind of talked about with your time is so true when it comes to SEO, where, you know, for some people, you might be able to after six months, nine months of doing SEO, right, you might be able to scale back some of your paid because you're dominating it. Uh, potentially with uh, the organic. And so that's a way for some people can work because they could always say, you always say, I don't have the budget. I don't have the budget, right? Nobody ever has enough money. It it just always is that way. But when you do talk to clients and they say, oh, I'm doing SEO and it's not working or yeah, I'm doing it, but you charge how much? Because my website company is doing it for $500 a month. Why would I pay you more when they're doing that? You know, when you come into that, where sometimes it's, you know, maybe you get what you pay for in SEO. Can't say that always. That can't be a blanket statement. I Me mean, personally, I found you get what you pay for. When you come across people who who say that, you know, how do you come across those sort of you know objections? And and for people who right now who are listening, saying, wait a minute, I only spend seven hundred dollars a month on SEO. Isn't that enough? And you talked about there's different areas of SEO. Can you get into that with price and what you should be getting and and what those things should cover when somebody signs up with a company for SEO?
2: Sure, and it, and it's it's a very common problem I think a lot of businesses have, and uh, and it goes more it goes beyond just you know the the value you're getting. The value is important, but you also want ownership, right? And that's that's something that that every business needs to you know really hold their their agency accountable for. Do I own my website? Do I own all the assets that are on my website? Do I own administrative access to my analytics? Um, Or when I leave you, do I lose all of that and my business just dies, right? I think that's the first question to ask before you even talk about pricing is, is ownership. Are you going to be my wingman and run and manage my SEO? Or are you going to take over my website and the SEO? And if I leave you, I have to start from scratch. I think that's the most important question to ask before you sign any contracts. Uh, In terms of of cost, I've I've seen it all sorts of ways. I've seen freelancers that work super affordably and do great work and provide all sorts of good value. I think the important sort of establishment that you have to have with them is is what your goals are. Right now, can you tell me how many people are signing up from search results, right? Paid or organic. Can you tell me how many people are actually signing up on our website, uh, registering, purchasing? How many people per month? Great. Well, how much... How much more value can you provide over the next 12 months? Can you help me set some goals? Where should I be at in a year from now in terms of how many orders I'm getting, um, how many people are signing up, registering, et cetera. Um, so we can set those goals together and, and 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 then you give me a price on what you think it's going to take to make that happen. And then you do the math and say, is it worth it for me? If I'm generating X dollars a month in, in revenue in a year from now, because remember, this is SEO. You don't expect, if you bug your SEO in a, in a month from now, seo is not right for you right look at look at the you know the the six month the year and then go back and say am i am i where we agreed we were going to be when we started i think that's that's key um i think if you're looking at pricing uh, the other thing i would look at too is i would look at examples and case studies and i would have them vetted by somebody who's a little bit senior in the industry i'm fortunate right now because we're not an agency we're just a consultancy and we do often get a lot of those questions is my seo agency doing a good job We even created a website called SEO verified where business owners can download a little checklist that they can ask their agency that are important questions that, you know, that are really, you know, kind of setting that foundation at the gate of, are you, are you running it or are you owning it? And, um, I think that's super important.
1: How do you, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but if you're a small to medium sized business coming at it and you you want to enhance your content strategy, you want to be doing more of SEO because you do see the long-term benefit of it. How Mm -hmm. does one go about setting goals for what that should look like and given the timelines they're working with?
2: Right, Um, that's a great question. And uh, I'd mentioned the term key performance indicators, right, KPIs. As a team, as your your marketing team, whether it's you, the business owner and an SEO specialist, or maybe you have two or three people, maybe one running paid and one running organic, you know and you sort of leading the team as a team your your KPIs are obviously going to be growth in revenue and in maybe in leads that are coming in from SEO. I think that's that's the the one thing in your Google Sheet or your Excel spreadsheet that you're going to look at every month. You know, here's here's what our goal is. How close are we to hitting it? Are we on pace? Are we behind? Right? That's that's the big picture. The the more micro level of of your tracking breaks it down by teams. You know, the, the first team is the webmaster The you know, the, the folks that are actually running the website and optimizing the technical side of the site to get it to perform better for mobile users, especially with this big update coming up here in May, you know, they're going to really be paying attention to that mobile page experience, as they're calling it. So what I would do for, for KPIs for the technical person is I would look at, you know, those those core vitals that Google's talking about. You can just Google core vitals and learn more about it. It would be speed. Am I improving the speed on my web page? It would be um, looking at my mobile experience. Maybe every quarter you're running a a survey and asking folks, perhaps in Mechanical Turk, you're asking a thousand people, hey, what do you think of this web page versus this web page, you know, to to do some tests to make sure that your mobile experience is getting better and and easier. It's going to be, of course, conversion rate. What am I doing to improve conversion rates? And there's tons of articles and videos that give you tips and, and techniques on how to improve the number of people who actually become customers who visit your website. The next team is is the writing team. How do you how do you hold them accountable to KPIs well for them? They're the ones that wrote those service pages, those sales pages. So they should be the ones looking at the rankings on those pages. You can use semrush.com, you can use ahrefs.com, you can use majestic seo. These are all small business tools that that are relatively affordable that allow you to load up keywords that you'd like to rank for and the page that you expect to rank for those keywords and that writer should be accountable to them. Oh, the rankings just went down. What did the, the person who flanked us, um, you know, what did they do differently than what we did? Oh, they put a video on their page, you know, boss, let's do a video, you know, so it's, it's holding them accountable to um, and holding themselves accountable to the, the performance of those individual pages that they're writing. The third part, of course, is the off page. You know, what, how do you hold that off page person uh, accountable to specific goals you know for that you could use ahrefs gives you a nice little measurement of growth over time and it helps you segment the types of links that you're getting so once a month you get a report from the person who's earning visibility for your website off the website and uh, you look at those together and if you feel like hey these are these are going to drive referral traffic they're going to earn links to them uh, themselves because they're really good quality pages or they're going to be seen by a massive audience if it meets those three criteria you're in good shape. But if you find that you're getting links from some profile page on Forbes or something, um, or some page that's really just never going to be seen by anybody, then you might want to, you know, sit down and come up with a, you know, a new strategy for how you earn links to your site. And you'd mentioned something earlier about content, you know, doing that, that how to, where to, why two tips kind of thing, putting that on your site is a great way to attract links, maybe even sending a few emails, making a few phone calls saying, hey, could you? Could you add this as a reference in the article that you wrote on this topic? Because we did, you know, we did some research and we came up with a really good page that we think would be helpful and supportive for the page that you wrote. Perhaps you can reference that as an external reference or continue reading or learn more. Uh, most of the time, they're going to ignore you or say no. But hey, one in a hundred—that's a good link, right?
0: No, those are, those are great things. So again, you had a lot here. I kind of want to go back and break down a little bit more because I think they're sure. really important. And one of which you talked about. I heard a lot of different teams that you mm-hmm. mentioned when it comes to SEO. And unless you're a larger organization, yeah. it doesn't seem like you they have the resources to have each of the, you know, the webmaster sort of the uh, the content writer and all these these other where we're we're kind of talking about you kind of blend the marketing writers and the content writers with the strategy team with the uh, webmaster people who are going to as I always say under the hood going to make things fast and and, and do all that and and that's how Chris and I kind of got together at the early beginning because we were literally on two separate sides of the house where I was always working with strategy and Chris was on the martech side for the the phrase martech was cool by the way (laughs) <laughs> but that's what we were we were you know doing then, and we kind of realized. Actually, Chris brought it up. Like, you know, huh? We probably should talk more because uh, the things that you want, I need to make happen, and vice versa. I'm like, you know, you got a good point here. So, what point? Now, going back to all that, for people who don't know and just kind of listening to this, or they think their team is sufficient enough. Now, I know there's a varies answer that's going to be here, but when you're working and you're consulting, at what point do you say this is what you do in house or you need to outsource this and work with different vendors. And I know you can't just say there's a fine line, you know, it's not just a hard line uh, for teams, but how, what questions can they answer themselves when they know we hire internally or I need, you know, other people to, uh, to make this happen outside. Honestly,
2: of I, I believe every business can, can run search marketing in-house. I really do. I've seen it happen for even the smallest companies. And they start with interns from schools. They start with, you know, marketing students who just graduated and want to get a little bit of experience. I've seen, I've seen, uh, you know, two hours a week turn into 45, 50 hours a week, you know, over the course of time from somebody who's really sharp and wants to really wants to prove themselves in the marketing world. So I, I, I would suggest if a business can do it to try to do everything in-house and how you, you give them the right direction is you, you get with a. A consultant to give you a roadmap and a list of, of check boxes to check off and a periodic, you know, check-in to see how you're doing and how you're performing and how those things are getting done. Uh, I think that's that's one way to keep the costs down is by getting some folks in-house that are part-time that can only do a few hours a week. And that way you own it, you run it, you're nurturing it, and you never have to worry about that agency going away. You never have to worry about getting switched with different reps on the team with the agency. You don't pay the agency overheads, right? So I think um, I think being able to do it in-house long-term is, is, um, is possible. I've seen it happen so many times. But there are those cases where you're like, you know what? I've just got too much going on. I don't want to manage people, right? I just I want to be able to do SEO and, and um, not have to have a, a big team here in-house. There's There's tools that you could use, or if you need to, you can go to the agency model. Some of the tools I like to use when it comes to scaling for content or like writer's access, I can load up all the service pages I need, give a little bit of direction and a brief um, in writer's access. And for 60 to 200 bucks, I could get a really good page of content. So I think that's a, that's a, a way to, you know, to at least help with the content side of things. And the other things, maybe you just hire people periodically as a project Hey, you know, webmaster, I definitely need some kind of a, a retainer set up to make sure you're keeping our site up to date. But I'm really only gonna need you once a quarter to go in and just do you know some updates and do a refresh. So there's where you could go to, um, like, what's the uh, Codable? There's a codable.io site you could go to where you can you can grab some really sharp, savvy people. They kind of bid against each other, but in the same thread, they support each other. It's really interesting to see how, how that communication works. Um, there's also freelancer.com and guru.com and other websites you could outsource to. But um, but if you are going to go the agency route, as I mentioned, make sure that you have ownership of everything. Make sure there's transparency. I want to know what you're doing. I'll sign an NDA that says I'm not going to sell and and share what you're doing with me but i need to know what you're doing i need to know that the links that you're going after are are going to be you know accepted acceptable by google and not get me in trouble i need to know that you know the the technical work that you're going to do aligns with all this stuff i read online about core vitals and you know and, and technical seO so i would i would make sure if you are going the agency route that you require transparency you know that you do set those kpi goals and hold them to it I'm not going to work with you after the first year if you don't meet these goals, right? And part of that is you can't say, "Oh, there was an algorithm update." You know, that's that's something a lot of agencies will use as a, a excuse as to why they didn't do something. But we already mentioned those core fundamentals. If they're if they're doing those three things and they're nurturing better content, they're nurturing better off-page visibility, and they're nurturing user behavior signals, you're not going to see any dips after an algorithm update. Uh, And if you did, it's because they did something they probably shouldn't have, like maybe purchased links or, you know, went to Fiverr and bought you 10,000 links from, you know, some weird network. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that's, you know, that's the perspective I have is I I really believe everybody can do it in-house. If you're a small business, you don't need a lot of resources. And there's tons of marketing students. Three people on my team came from Fullerton and Cal State Fullerton, you know, who were marketing students. Some of them as interns while they were in school. And one of them is now our creative director. So you can get some really good talent without having to go to an agency affordably too.
1: Yeah, I think the accountability and transparency is very important there. We've seen businesses Mm -hmm. hire agencies and they use a lot of the, you know, the quote unquote black hat techniques, which is just link stuffing and comments and things like that. And they spend, you know, years really trying to dig out of that hole. I wanted to ask, you mentioned earlier optimizations to things like the services page or the pricing page and things like that. One of the areas that Ryan and I always advocate for for businesses when they're looking to sort of get into an SEO strategy and a content strategy is launching a blog. Just for the simple aspect of now you've got this platform that you can generate your own content. <clears throat> I don't care if it's written content, if you're posting videos like you mentioned, if you're doing what we're doing here today in the form of a podcast. Uh, Is that something you advocate for as well? And then I know we talked about KPIs, which is sort of, you know, that bottom of the funnel, like final metric, right? When you're launching that initial content strategy, what are some of those in between metrics, maybe in things like Google Analytics that you can be measuring on a consistent basis that should eventually lead to the KPIs you're looking for?
2: Sure. I think what you're getting into is content segmentation, right? It's, It's measuring that. So for our attorney clients. You know, we segment their practice area pages and we set goals to try to get those pages to, you know, to get more traffic that drives new customers. Uh, There's also the uh, upper funnel informational content that doesn't necessarily belong on the blog, but perhaps could be supportive content underneath that specific service silo. And being supportive content now, you're not just competing with one page, you're competing with a section of content. So I think, I think nesting your, your best content under its respective service area gives that service area more of a a potential to rank in search results and drive more traffic. So the third segment is that blog and blogs are great for staying in the conversations. They're great for seasonal, but blogs have something called an RSS feed, right? And that RSS feed tends to get old and buried like a book. You're getting chapters and chapters into a book and it's you know, it's, it's farther behind. So I think, I think blogs are a great way to, to promote some of that evergreen content that you're going to put under your service silo. I think blogs are a great place to talk about seasonality things. I think they're a great place to, to talk about your company and what's going on in your company, um, taking pictures of things and sharing them on the blog. But most of the time, the blog doesn't really get, for a small business, doesn't really get a lot of traffic. And if you're just creating content for the sake of creating content, you're spreading the value of your content uh, across your entire website. And if you're not earning links respective to the, the growth of that content, then the value of each page becomes less and less and less. So I think it, it's it's more advantageous to focus content efforts on really making the best informational long form pages, as opposed to just creating a bunch of blog posts that probably aren't going to be seen by many people, you know, and, and probably aren't going to, to really help, you know, provide more value to your website. So I think that's, that's kind of been our perspective. We used to, even on our old website, we used to have all our best content on the blog. And then over time, you start to look at that content. Like I have one that's on title tag principles. If you search for title tag principles, it still says 2009 on the listing Eventually, that's that listing is going to go away. Google's going to realize, and people are going to see that this is a pretty old piece of content. I'd rather find something more about 2021 than 2009. So, um, so I think it's important to to think about that as you're as you're creating blogs, and not to create blogs to drive traffic. You create blogs to have a, a voice and to create some fresh stuff that people can see about what's going on right now, and put your best content under those service areas. I think that's that's the approach that i would take if if you're thinking about blog as a, as a marketing technique now 20 years ago it was totally different right we used to use blog and uh, blog and ping methods to syndicate our blog content across 3000 websites you know using you know, all these different you know blog sites that would and if they consumed html we get the link back to our website but thanks to the panda update of of what 2011 you know and the penguin update of 2012 None of that matters anymore. So all that that historical stuff we used to do that's still lingering out there in, in ebooks, and I'm I fault for that too, you know, is causing a misconception about the value of blogs, unless your site is just a blog, obviously, and then you're not really selling anything anyway.
0: When you talked about, you know, for people who have been doing this for a while and have something like from 2009, but it doesn't even have to be that long. Maybe it's just three mm-hmm. years ago or two years ago. Is there value of going back? and updating the current, whatever that old one is, and maybe updating it with the newest information. Do you get value out of that? Or do you feel it's better to leave it there because it has you know clearly some life to it. Maybe it's still getting on the first page, mm-hmm. but update it maybe on a whole new blog that we are getting new content uh, that complements that.
2: Sure, so we, we worked with OzMed conferences in Australia and Will, Will Egan is just this genius kid, And um, this is actually, it's a family company. And he noticed that a lot of the traffic they were receiving to certain pages was starting to go away. So he went back into those top performing pages and he refreshed them and made them so much better. He added a table of contents at the top. So we had some nice jump to links that would help the user, but also show up in search results. He added more rich media. He got doctors that he interviewed to improve those pages. He included some tweets and some other things within that content. So there was a little bit of of that social element to it. Um, he created some really amazing content, and not only did he revive it, but he got more traffic than those pages ever received before. So I think it's a fantastic idea to go back into that that older content and just keep refreshing, uh, refreshing it, and keep nurturing. You know, a, a much stronger content strategy for sure.
1: You mentioned several of the tenets of sort of building your SEO strategy, and you talked mm-hmm. about the off-page side of things, which yes. I always think is so interesting because I find that to be one of the hardest areas to control. Oh, my God, yeah. What is your advice for how to get other sites to engage with and link to your content and to sort of build that off-page strategy?
2: Right. There, you know, there's there's a lot of resources, too, that you could study. Uh, a friend of mine who, who passed away a while ago, Eric Ward, um, his his family posted all of his newsletters on his website. If you go to ericward.com, I think it's still live. You can go through a whole library of white hat best practices for attracting links. The the way that I would organize my projects because there's different projects in how you you manage your your off page SEO. The first project is just link reclamation where you're going after links that um, that are now broken. You'll use like Ahrefs and you'll see the links that are coming into pages that are 404. We saw this with Applebee's. Applebee's had I think some 5,000 links that were all going to four or four pages for the different veterans pages that they had up over the years. All we did was create a new veterans URL, redirect the other ones, and boom, within an instant, we got all of those links right back. So reclaiming broken links, maybe even reclaiming broken links your competitors have. You're looking at your competitor's link profile and finding some broken links and going back to those sites and saying, hey, you've got a broken link. Here's an updated URL you could use if you'd like to and get them to link to you. That's one method. The other is unlinked mentions. Uh, there's there's going to be folks that mention your business, your brand. Maybe you did an event locally, but the the event didn't mention your website. So you go back and say, hey, could you could you make it so when they click on our name, it it goes to our site? Mm-hmm. As soon as you use the word link in an email, they know immediately. Oh, you're just trying to get links, right? But if you if you use words like, hey, could you make our name clickable? And and you think of creative wordsmithing so that you're not asking for links, um, you'll get a much better response rate. The other thing I I think is is important to come up with is some, I, I know it's still kind of a passe term, but link bait, right? You come up with something that you feel everyone is going to want to link to and share. One of my favorite articles is just a graphic and it's on the oatmeal is how web design goes to hell. And this page has attracted thousands of links, had tens of thousands of shares to it because it resonates so well with the web design community. And I think I've even linked to it a few times. So if you can create something on your website, That's, that's funny. That's engaging. Maybe that's data rich. You know, we did some research several and every single time we release our, our study information, all the other industry websites link to us as a reference. Oh, these guys did a study and here's what they came up with on click-through rate. These guys did a study and here's what they came up with on Yelp reviews and that works. So creating, creating that, that linkable content sometimes, you know, invokes organic linking on its own, even though I know it seems like a, a dream. Whenever you ask an SEO, Hey, if I create content, well, links just naturally happen. They always tend to chuckle, right? But if you do create some really rich content like that, I've seen it happen. I would say another approach is, is looking at colleges and universities and going to, you know, the, the courses on the topic that that you specialize in and being a guest speaker, uh, providing free resources and, and help for the, the school and the community. I, I do that all the time. I'm a guest speaker tonight at Cal State Fullerton in Professor Sorrell's class. And, and it isn't to get the link, it's to give back to the industry. And you know, the end result of that is that you earn, sometimes you earn some visibility off the website and then these students will remember you and who are they gonna call when they need somebody who specializes in what you do? Oh, I, I had this guest speaker in one of my classes, right? So um, I think that's another approach that that tends to work well. One thing that that's, I think is paramount to any link building strategy is running an intersecting link audit. Look at the top brands in your industry. Not necessarily your direct competitors, your local competitors, but the big guys in the industry, right? And you, you throw all of them into a tool like Ahrefs, you download all the links that they've earned, and then you run a pivot table to see where those intersecting domains are. And you'll find in that research, oh, here's a bunch of industry websites we didn't even know about. We should be advertising here too, not just doing SEO. Here's some new sites that we should probably focus around. Here's some, some bloggers in our industry that are linking all of our competitors except for us. We should reach out to them and figure out how we can, you know, um, collaborate with them to get some links. I think that's, those are those are a few different approaches that have worked re- well for our clients without having to uh, involve black hat tactics like private blog networks and, you know, um, uh, three-way link things and just all the garbage that eventually is going to leave a digital footprint that'll cause a penalty and, you know, really hurt your brand. Cleaning up uh, a poor link profile is far more expensive than creating it. <laughs> Yeah. So just keep that in mind.
0: You know, you, you kind of beat me to it because I was going to ask you if you had any SEO hacks, but you kind of went through a few more. But obviously, with some of those that you mentioned, mm-hmm. you can't do them without tools alone. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, and I've worked in it—you know enough agencies and businesses with them, whether it was myself or consulting, people don't realize sometimes some of the largest expenses businesses have. Mm-hmm. is the tools that you need to buy. Now, the free ones are good. Google puts out a ton of free ones and they're all great. But if you want to dig down deeper, maybe get some other information that Google won't tell you. Um, mm-hmm. And I know for some of those little hacks that you just gave, those tips, you need those. So what are some of your favorite tools? And if you can give a little explanation of like how do you use them, how does it benefit you? Sure.
2: Well, as you mentioned, most of the good tools are free. Right? I think um, the, the Google web developer suite of tools are fantastic. You know, they've got a ton of page speed tools and Lighthouse to allow you to look at your core vitals. Webpagetest.org has a, a Lighthouse tool as well that you can look at some of these new things that are coming up. My, my favorite suite for SMB is um, SEMrush. You heard me mention them earlier, but I still use Ahrefs for that intersecting link and, uh, you know, for the unlinked mentions. They've got a, really, a couple of really good tools for that. The most robust tool that I've seen in link building that I'm in love with, is um, I think it's just called link building tools right? or, or link research tools, right? Link research tools. And uh, Christoph Kemper is the one that was in. He's just a brilliant guy. It is not a affordable one for a lot of smaller businesses, though it's in the few hundred dollars a month range. But if you've got the budget, you can get some really great ideas out of that. Um, other tools that that we find ourselves using often are crawl tools. You can get a desktop um, software called Screaming Frog. Another one called Light. Uh, I think it's Lightbulb. And they'll crawl your website and give you specific things to work on. Those are fantastic for you know, literally crawling your website and giving you a list of things that you can do quickly, like missing alt tags on an image or missing meta descriptions on a page, or maybe your title is too long, right? Things like that. If you want a more robust version of that, we use a tool called Writes R-Y-T-E. We're also fans of Deep Crawl, D-E-E-P, Crawl. Uh, there's also On Crawl, O-N Crawl. There's a lot of those types of tools that will crawl your website and give you aggregate data of, of what you need to improve from a technology standpoint and some things related to content in terms of length and redundancy. Other tools, if you get into more of the, you know, mid to larger size business and you've got some budget are, are those corporate suites. My favorite is Conductor Searchlight. Conductor Searchlight allows you to create some really great content segmentation to tell you how to, how to improve your content based on. Um, crawls that it's doing of competitor pages. It's really interesting. Um, you can also do some really good upper funnel uh, research and create your content calendar with Conductor, which is fantastic. Conductor's competitors include uh, BrightEdge and uh, Search Metrics. Those are the two other big enterprise brands that you could look at. You're probably going to be starting between four to $5,000 a month with those tools. So keep that in mind. But Conductor did just um, announce that their keywords now are unlimited. Uh, before you pay a dollar per keyword you wanted to track in their system. And now it's free. So if you are an enterprise, you know, conductor is probably the way to go.
1: You know, it's interesting. We we work with a bunch of different individuals that, you know, whether they're working with agencies or whether they're trying to do the search themselves, the way they measure the success of their SEO all varies a little bit. Uh, I have one client who's a little bit on the eccentric side. If he Googles himself or his website and doesn't show up in that first selection uh, he's not happy, and if he does, then and nothing else really matters to him, right? And I've always tried explaining, well, that's not really the best metric because it's based on your. You search haven't heard me mention and, keyword
2: rankings, right? For right, for KPIs. Yeah.
1: But I so but I guess that would be the question: is how yeah. do you tell people so? The end goal is KPIs, right, is revenue generation Mm -hmm. conversions and things like that. But most businesses have a lot of different marketing strategies and sales strategies Mm -hmm. happening. So you could be seeing, you know, gains as well as losses in those areas that may or may not be related to what you're doing on the SEO side of things. What are the things that you should be looking at as a business to show that your SEO is working in the long term and getting you to the KPIs that you're looking for?
2: Sure. Well, I think that content segmentation is a big piece of it. You know, in, in analytics, you you set up a, a custom segment and say, you know, this is, these are all the pages that we know are going to drive customers. And, um, you know, watching those pages grow over time is is probably the most paramount thing that you could be doing to measure SEOs. Those, those pages that really drive customers. But to get those pages to rank. We need that that informational upper funnel supportive content. So your next segment is, you know, is that group or is that group earning more traffic? Who cares about conversion? Is it earning more traffic? And and something you have to explain to the, the business, I think long term is they'll say, hey, our conversion rate went way down. We're getting tons of leads, but our conversion rate's going down. What's going on? Well, because we're we're putting out a lot of informational content that doesn't convert. Right, at least not initially. Eventually, they'll come back and and do a branded search, and we'll we'll get that traffic. But especially through remarketing. <laughs> but um, but yeah, as you as you get more traffic to your website, if if it's coming from these informational pages, your conversion rate is going to drop a bit. So I would I would definitely use you know uh, that segment for the uh, you know that that upper or sorry that lower funnel content, the sales pages, the product pages, the category pages, the local you know pages if you're a multi-location brand as, as your measurement of, of how our SEO is performing. The rest is really just kind of supportive content. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's, if there's something else that I would use to measure, but from, from an organic standpoint, I think just, just having that, just having that focus on those converting customer pages is key. And, and you're right. And and one of the businesses I work with is a, a luxury watch retailer. And he's, he's like your client. He, every day he looks and he's like, uh, I moved from number four to number five for Rolex Submariner. I need to, you know, I need to figure out what happened, why, what's going on and get my ranking back up. He looks at his core 20 pages every day, but if you're looking at it as a pulse, right? And as a, as a way to kind of see how's the pulse doing with my, my rankings and not looking at it as a metric because every day Google's testing new results and they're shifting things. And if you have a client that's obsessing over their position on any day, it's non-productive and it's just going to drive everybody crazy. But looking at the average over the month is fair. If you have a thousand locations or 1700, if you're in Applebee's looking at your average position across those 1700 locations is a fair measurement, but once a month is more than adequate to see what our average position looks like. Not every day. That's, you know, there's, there's no way you could do that every day with the way that Google's constantly, you know, shifting results around to test different, different listings.
0: We've covered a lot and I know we're closing in here on a a full hour. So the types of SEO we discovered, all right, we talked about on-page, off-page, the technical aspects of it, the size of your team, your SEO team, should you do it in-house, should you outsource Mm -hmm. the tools, you did a couple of uh, metrics that we need to follow. Is there a something else that one more thing that you should, uh, that we haven't covered that you want to uh, get in?
2: You know, I I think running a annual or biannual audit with a third party and maybe rotating and trying, you know, different third parties just to get ideas of what you could be doing. You know, we get tagged every so often from people that I look up to. And I'm like, why do you need me? You're like a a brilliant genius. We just want a second set of eyes. And I think getting that, you know, biannual review, technical, contextual and off-page review of what we could be improving is is so healthy for helping sharpen the saw with with the team getting a different perspective and sometimes you're not always going to get anything useful we we've hired a few uh consultants of our own to see how we could be doing better with our clients and a couple of them really wasn't uh, as helpful as we hoped they would be but one of them was so it's it's doing that every six months or year um you know getting a, a you know a third party a consultancy an agency to to run some audits and give you a strategy uh, marry it to what you're already doing maybe Check out some things that haven't been working, add in some new things, and just continue testing.
1: If you don't learn something from that, at the very least, you get some validation out of it, which is kind of yes. nice. Right. Yep. Uh, Steve, this was great. I feel like you added so much value. As Ryan said, we covered so much stuff. If there was one takeaway you wanted somebody who was listening to remember, to stick with them, what would that be?
2: It would be to make sure that if you're working with an agency, that, that there is a spirit of transparency, number one. And that if you are thinking about running your own team, you can do it. You, you just need to have somebody outside with a little experience to give them the tools and the list of things to work on. Um, you can absolutely do it in-house. And it's it's so much more beneficial to the voice of your brand. You know, The person's already there. They're going to be able to take pictures and do things while they're on site because they work there. Um, so I would encourage all businesses to consider in-housing uh, as much as you can. And, um, and if you are going to work with an agency, make sure that there's transparency there.
0: Thank you so much, Steve. It was uh, really great. There's so much information here to consume and digest. So really appreciate you coming on the happy hour.
2: Likewise. Thanks guys. This is fun. And please feel free to have me on any other time. I'd love to join you again. If people want to learn more, where, where can they go? I'm, I'm all over social. I'm just SEO Steve, right? Just look for SEO Steve. And I'd be happy to even take a look at your website or if you're trouble with rankings, you know, I, I love to help people and I don't charge for free advice. So please feel free to hit me up.
1: Perfect. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, guys. Well, Chris, that was a great interview with Steve. I was really impressed, not just with his knowledge he talks about with SEO, but the tools that he discussed that he uses with his team. And I'll be honest with you, I've been in SEO for well over a decade now. And one thing I love about having these guests is just even us as co-hosts, sometimes you learn something from the guests. And this was another example of some of these tools that he talked about that I really wasn't all that familiar with. While I am familiar with Screaming Frog, I didn't know about Codable.io and things like that. So I love the tools that he talked about. I can't wait to use them myself. And then... When it came to the metrics and and KPIs, I just thought he nailed it on the head and really just, you know, brought it home with all things SEO that any small to medium sized business or entrepreneur really needs to know when they are creating content and then, of course, measuring their content.
1: Yeah, that was one of those conversations that I feel could have easily gone for an extra hour and we could have just kept geeking out about SEO and the tools and the analytics. And that's always what makes digital marketing happy hour so much fun. And it's interesting. I I tend to be very skeptical when I hear about new SEO tools. And it's not because I, I have any doubts about the tool. It's just because there's so many of them. It's such a crowded field and it's like, oh, do I really want to use one more tool? But I really feel like Steve just opened our eyes to so many more things and gave us you know, some tips and tricks. And you know, one of the things he talked about that, that really stood out to me, because you, know, you and I are always pushing blog, you should create a blog and, and create content. And he talked about how some of your key content on the blog should actually live right on the website. And you know, that's an interesting tip. I had never thought of it from that perspective before. He also mentioned Eric Ward, ericward.com, and some of the content newsletters that were up there. That's a tremendous resource, tremendous tool that everybody should be taking advantage of. So I really enjoyed the conversation. Real pleasure to have Steve on the show today.
0: Well, of course, we can't have a full episode if we don't talk about keeping it light. So, Chris, anything you're listening to, binge-watching?
1: Yeah, I'm reading again. I'm really on an Audible kick lately, and uh, I had a book in my list for the longest time: "Extreme Ownership: How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win" by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And you know, it had been recommended to me, but for some reason, I just never got around to it. And the other day, I, I turned it on and started listening to it. And man, what a fantastic book about leadership and the importance of autonomy and taking ownership of things and you know, quite frankly, these are two Navy SEALs that were deployed to Iraq during the middle of the, uh, the Iraqi war. And, you know, who doesn't love a good war story here or there? But I think what's important is the stories are fantastic and really leave you on the edge of your seat as you're listening to what's happening. But he complements each war story with a boardroom story and conversations that are happening in the business world and how those leadership and ownership techniques were applied to be successful, both when people's lives are on the line and when their businesses are on the line. And it truly is a fantastic book that I would recommend to anybody. What about you, Ryan? What are you uh, watching or binge reading these days?
0: By the way, I got to stop you say that you were reading and you first went and your first mention was Audible, which was listening.
1: This is how I read now through my ears.
0: <laughs> this is how we all read for the, for the most part. Uh, with that, no, but sticking with the the audio, and we've been talking a little bit more about Clubhouse, and you know whether it's here on the full length or even it's been making the news. If you want to stay up to up to date on the news, listen to our last call that drops on Mondays. Uh, you, you'll hear Clubhouse and other things that have been making the news that we reference. So recently, and I've been with Clubhouse now for a month or two, uh, maybe even a little bit longer than that. I haven't fully engaged with it, but I maybe I'm the wallflower of, of Clubhouse and been listening. And I will say this, there is a lot of you know great industry speakers that you can be in the same room of. And I will say this, one of the benefits of Clubhouse, when you hear top-notch speakers pre-pandemic, Usually, to do that, you had to fly to a convention center wherever your industry was hosting to hear them speak on stage or they had a panel discussion. And you're in a room for, you know, depending on how big it is, it could be small, maybe 100, 200. Or if you're in the main room of a convention center, you're talking thousands, you know, especially if it's a keynote. And a couple of times, whether it's listening to, like, you know, I've heard Katie Couric, you know, on listening to her. Which is kind of weird to hear because it's on a phone. I'm hearing Katie Couric come out of my speaker phone, which is kind of odd in a way, but kind of cool at the same time. To you know, listening to industry of marketing, sort of you know, experts, quote unquote, but really who bring a lot of value to it. So I have been kind of testing the waters, listening to it, haven't really fully engaged yet. Honestly, for me, it's just one more social media that you have to engage with. So that's part of the big drawback to it. But I, I I do see a lot of benefit from it. So really listening, and I've seen polls on LinkedIn, again unscientific, but you know friends of the Digital Marketing Happy Hour podcast, like Bryn Tillman, seen polls from her and about Clubhouse and our people participating are they just listening? And what's interesting is the majority of the people really are wallflowers on there with maybe 10 to 20%, uh, again, of her audience, for example, are actually in rooms and, you know, basically hosting and of these different clubs. So I don't think clubhouses is going away by far. And again, when you think about it, that you can be in your own home on your phone and listen to greats. I mean, Bill Gates, is on there where typically you would have to fly and go to a, you know, convention center to listen to some of these speakers. And it's, it's very expensive, whether for you or your company. So this is another great way. And that's big, big, big for me is just listening to the, some of these different rooms, you know, on occasion and sometimes going out for walks and just listening to a clubhouse uh, you know, session and all that. So that is uh that's what I've been listening to these days. Well, we'd like to hear from you. If you heard something you loved or better yet, if there's something you disagreed with, let us know whether it was something Chris said or I said, or our guest, Steve Wiedemann. We want to hear from you. One of the ways you can reach back to us and let us know your feedback is send us an email. Email address is podcast at araxam.com. That's podcast at dot com. Also hit us up on social media. You can find me, on LinkedIn, the easiest way just do a search Ryan Smith Marketing. There's a million Ryan Smiths on there, but Ryan Smith Marketing will be one of the ways. Or just type in Araxum in the uh, LinkedIn search bar, and you'll find both Chris and I. Also on Twitter and Instagram, my handle Ryan Smith F L A. That's R Y A N S M I T H F
1: L A. And you can find me on Twitter under Real Chris Casale. That's R E A L C H R I S C A S A L E. And of course, LinkedIn is probably the best way to get a hold of me. You can find me under my name, Chris Caselli. But as Ryan mentioned, you can also find me under Araxum and of course, Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audible, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We sincerely hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. Hope you all have a great week. Goodbye. Thanks everyone. Be kind to each other. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit araxum at araxam.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at cactuslimrecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album, Message. Learn more at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for listening.